Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Mean Mommy Kink podcast. We are all the way to episode eight. I am really excited that so many folks have, you know, been with us for eight months. It's crazy. Um, We're excited to have you here. The theme of this episode is Inside Mommy's Mailbag. So this is all listener Q&A. We've gotten a couple of fascinating questions over the last month or so on our Instagram. So we're going to get all up into it and we are going to kind of go one at a time um, talking about questions that are all from all of you. Inside Mommy's Mailbag. I almost think it should be inside mommy's mailbox, which is sexier, mommy's mailbag or mommy's mailbox. I don't know. We'll have to figure it out. So this episode is all about question and answer from listeners. So you sent us some questions. Most of them came through the Instagram and we're going to go through them one by one. And before we get started, we're going to start with our small business spotlight. We do this every time. I'm just so glad we could do this because you and I both know it has been really difficult. (laughs) Can I just say this week has been a week, like a week. My work's been playing in my face. This the technology to record this thing, it was a whole pain. And let me tr- trust and believe you all that it is a, an act of love and service that this podcast exists to this episode because we have been fighting the technology this week. Um, and I have just been exhausted, although some of it's nice. Um, I will say that uh, not all of my week's been terrible. I won't get into details, but you can just imagine me shining my nails. Um, but my work has been nuts. And so I am tired (laughs) and I am really grateful that our listeners are for the most part chill and understanding that we are human beings because this uh, episode might be a little crunchier than our norm. Uh, but we're still here to love you and talk to you. I won't speak for Lola, but for myself, this whole podcast has been such a fun experience. We had no idea that it was going to be this well received. And the fact that we got questions from listeners at all is really kind of cool. So I appreciate this. I know she appreciates this. And it seems like that you appreciate this, this forum for us to talk about dirty, kinky things together. So I just really really want you to know that from my little dirty heart, my little kinky heart to yours, uh, I really do appreciate the time that you take to listen to our episodes. They're long. We'll be going on and on, but that won't be this episode. We have just had, (laughs) we have just had too many adventures this time getting this episode out. And of course, before we jump into our questions, we are going to do, um, what we do every month, which is highlight, uh, POC owned business, a queer owned business, and if at all possible, a kinky owned business that we think you all will love. We have got a great one this month. Um, Our business spotlight is Black Wolf Leather. Super easy to find on Instagram. It's black like the color, wolf like the animal, and leather. And the business can also be found at blackwolfleather.com. And he is a black trans and queer kinkster who makes custom leather gear. 
And, you know, there's the standard kind of cuffs and collars, but what really kind of caught our eye about this business is that he makes, like, amazing animal hoods, like pup hoods, foxes. He makes them just for you, so if you want, like, a really specialized animal, he could probably do it for you because everything's custom. If you want a cute pup hood and fun colors, he can do that for you as well. His Instagram's full of really cool pictures that kind of show you what can be done. Um, so this is one for our pet players. We know a lot of folks that listen to us are also into pet play. Um, special spotlight on an awesome black trans queer and kinky business that you can throw your dollars at in order to get some custom made leather gear. So that is our business this month. We hope you all visit Black Wolf Leather. I love the hoods. I love Black Wolf Leather hoods. I follow them on Instagram just to watch all the happy customers. So if I can encourage everyone to go get a hood, I'm totally here for that. (laughs) Okay, I slipped my hand into my purse. I'm feeling around. I got my keys in here, chapstick, put that on. Mm. Okay, I got some tissues, some candy, a switchblade. All right, what else is in my purse? Okay, some makeup. Oh, got it. All right, I have a handful of letters, questions. Here we go. First question. Tell me, I'm reading it like this. Tell me more about how you each came into the mean mommy role. Hmm. Okay, I'm gonna go first because I want to. Mean Mommy for me was a lot of things put together. I just think about kink as like a collage of all these different um, influences and I put together onto my sort of internal vision board. So my vision board started with the concept of mistress because that's easy to find in kink, you know, mistress, right? And I definitely identify with the strong, dominant woman archetype. And then with mistress, there's lots of different ways to go with it. There's like the cruel mistress and then there's mommy. And I've always liked dichotomy. I've always liked being more than one thing at the same time. I like clashing colors. I like things that maybe you have to turn your perspective in order to see how they go together. And so mean mommy was just a way for me to put all that together, for me to be someone who's capable of violence and destruction and pain and to be someone who's capable of being nurturing and sweet and kind. And then as I got further into kink, it, at least for me, it became important to always be able to be both. Always be able to be both. You know, if you're a sadist and you can't be kind, you're just an asshole. If you're kind and you can't be mean, then you're a pushover. So Mean Mommy for me was a way to be a dominant, in-charge, feminine person who's not afraid or not scared, who can step into her own power, who isn't scared of being viewed as a woman, regardless of what my actual gender is, because women are so fucking cool that that's never an insult. That's what Mean Mommy is. It's watch your mouth, watch your tongue. So... That's just me. So if I can go on like a really small tangent about me and mommy, I think part of 
the reason this podcast is called the Mean Mommy Kink Podcast is because whenever you are someone that is femme of center and you start just like directly telling people things that are true, but not like the most flattering, I'm giving you your praise kink thing, then you're just immediately mean. And so I know I've been called mean a bunch of times. Jackie's been called mean a bunch of times. And so we're like, fine, we're mean. So like the mean mommy role to me, it's it's kind of like, I don't know. I, I feel like it's almost a euphemism for just like normal femme. <laughs> because it's like, if you're going to be called mean for just like talking, then you're just going to be called mean. Like at that point, you might just, you might as well just like embrace it. So I think that's part of like what mean mommy is in general. And then of course, we're also both sadists. So we can be physically very mean as well. Um, we can be mentally very mean too, for people that like being bullied. Um, I know Jackie's extremely good at bullying. I'm actually pretty good at bullying. I just have to really like you to bully you. Um, but yeah, I think that the difference between like mean as far as like what this podcast means and mean as far as like the consensually sadistic things we do is that you know we were going to be called mean regardless so we just went for mean mommy kink podcast so how I came into the mommy role um it was really kind of organic when I was relatively new to the kink scene. I was seeing this boy that had like middle energy. He was very like a big puppy that liked to like follow me around and carry my bags when we were out shopping. And I would like give him all the quarters I had in my purse so he could play pinball. Um, and he just had this really cute like teenage boy energy that I thought was adorable. And um, he started calling me mama and it was super cute and I loved it. And I have kind of been more at home in that role ever since. It took me a while to kind of really inhabit it as like a full-time sort of thing, but it's definitely always been something that I've been into because as soon as he said it, it was just so sweet and it just felt like, yes, like there are just moments I think in everyone's journey in kink and sex when they find something that's just like an absolute yes for them. And that was one of those things. So, um, that is how I kind of came to inhabit a mommy role in general. So how my mommy role has evolved, this kind of, um, goes back to question one a little bit too, cause they asked how we got a mean mommy role. So my mommy role really started off, um, not necessarily connected to a dominance, like it was connected to a dominance, but it was more like a sweet kind of indulgent sex thing. And embracing like the sadistic side of it took considerably longer. Um, I think that more has to do with kind of all the issues I have with my actual mother. Um, and so I, you know, had to do some therapy work about that because I cannot shout it from enough rooftops. Kink is not therapy. Um, if you are playing in stuff that is rooted in like weird therapy situations, that's not like the weirdest thing I've ever heard of. In fact, most people get to their kinks through, you know, not great circumstances, but you should go to actual therapy to work on those issues and not just kind of sub in kink. Like that's not really healthy. Um, so after I did my work on, you know, my therapy work that I needed to do, I kind of really sat with the kind of uncomfortable feeling that like my sadistic mommy is something that like 
is probably rooted in some weird childhood shit. Um, but then I kind of thought about it and I realized that like the difference is I control it and I can turn it off and it's, you know, completely something that is not, I'm never doing it in a space where I'm out of control. I'm never doing it in a space where it's like not coming from a consenting, everyone's having fun kind of way. So that made me really able to step into like the mean side of things and the sadist side of things and the like hurting you, but being sweet about it side of things. Um, and that I think is the biggest way that my mommy role has evolved because before I would think, oh, that's not something that should mix. And now I'm like all day. <laughs> um, and, you know, it, it's another one of those things where like if daddies can be sadistic and nurturing at the same time, then of course mommies can do that too. But I think I had to get out of my own way about that one to let my like me and mommy role really evolve. How did my role evolve? That's so hard for me to say because I've always been a switch. I've always been bisexual. I've always been a try new things. And every time I try it, I dive in. So I guess the evolution is to keep going towards your passion, however weird it is. And you'll always feel good about the decision, even if it changes, even if your interests change, even if the way you express your interests change or the words change or the people change. If you keep going towards the passion in it, then you're always going to have fun and every experience will be genuine. And it's not like you're a flip flopper or you're somehow a new person. It's like you're the same person living many lives. I always thought that was cool how in kink you can have many different lives in our lives, we can have many different lives. Just the difference between 20 and 30. Don't even get me started. <laughs> but um, through roles, you can have completely different lives. I've been a mommy and I've never had children, but I've nurtured people for the purpose of their growth. I've loved them. I've sacrificed for them. I've supported them. I've fed and housed them. You know, are those not motherly traits? And so, yes, those relationships were with consenting adults. And yes, we did sexy time things. But, <laughs> you know, is that not the role? Or at least that's the role in how I see it. And I think a lot of people can see the crossover. It's like being an auntie. Auntie is very similar to being a mommy. Um, but, I mean, who's to say where the line is? Because there's definitely some aunts who are mothers to their friends and communities. So I think the evolution is just allowing everything to have a little bit of space to not try to be the person who draws the line to just follow your own experience and bliss and define things for yourself. You don't have to be exactly like everyone else's dictionary definition of anything. You can define it strictly for yourself because all this is subjective. You're the user in your experience, and no one else can really tell you how to navigate it. So our third question was recommendations for queer mommy porn. And let me tell you all, that took a little bit of research because I'm sure you all have noticed if you just throw the search term mommy into the general porn places, not a lot pops up that's not just 100% cishet and generally, in, even in those cases, geared entirely toward the male um, adult baby that's, you know, in the film or 
in some cases they're kind of like point of view mommy's whispering things at the male participant like it's just not a queer setup and it's not generally what most of the mommies I know have done as far as things that we find sexy so it kind of bears no resemblance to the majority of queer mommies I know and how they like to have sex so we had to do a little digging to find some uh, some queer porn recommendations that had mommy themes. My very favorite out there is Aorta Films, and that's Aorta like the part of your heart, so A-O-R-T-A. Um, they are on Instagram at Aorta Films Will Never Die, um, and they have got probably the best quality mommy content out there right now. Really sexy stuff, extremely well shot. Um, there's a particular favorite video film of mine that you can uh, sign up to their film, sign up to their website and see called Pink Lemonade that is just perfection. Like it's like if I were a porn, that would be me. Um, so if anyone wants to see what the inside of my head looks like as far as porn goes, that film. Um, <laughs> so they're probably my number one recommendation. Um, there's also a place, it's a relatively new, um, place out of Chicago. I hope I'm pronouncing this right. It's House of Wheatlacooch. And they are queer and trans POC folks that are making all kinds of really amazingly filthy porn. And some of them are, have mommy themes to them or people that identify as mommies in them. Um, like I said, really sexy stuff. Um, I would say they're kind of the opposite aesthetic of Aorta Films because Aorta Films is like wonderful, like beautifully shot, lovely lighting, you know, all of this stuff, plot lines, and, you know, House of Wheat Lacooch is more like, oh, we fucking fucking. Like, there's like six people and they're just all fucking, and that's hot. So let's, let's watch that. So, <laughs> kind of depends on what you're into. Um, but then, you know, I, I was a little disappointed. I went to Crashpad um, to see if they had any mommy things. And they have a shocking lack of mommy content. They have hundreds of episodes of queer porn. And if you type in the word mommy into the search bar, you'll get like a couple of their actors that identify as mommies and like one or two scenes that have like passing mommy content. But there's like a disturbing lack. So I guess... This is my friendly call out <laughs> to Crashpad um, to make more mommy content. I don't know if they take, you know, suggestions. I don't, you know, they're an independent business, so they might not. But that is, it was kind of like surprising to me because I hadn't been by Crashpad in a little bit. Because um, for a short amount of time, it was just like me and all of my friends. And so like, it was a little weird to like watch my friends fuck in porn when I had just watched them fuck in a dungeon. So anyway, I took a break. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I was really surprised that like in the many years since I had been on Crashpad, there has still not been any mommy content really, which is strange because like I feel like mommies are having a moment and maybe we should have more of a moment on the biggest queer site out there. Um, but anyway, those are our recommendations. If anyone else has some hidden gem queer mommy porn that I've never heard of, please, please email us or, you know, get into our DMs um, because I, for one, would absolutely love to know what else is out there. Yeah, when it comes to the porn recommendations, I'm going to just side with Lola because the places I go on the internet, y'all can't go unless you have a really good you know, <laughs> cybersecurity. <laughs> 
Um, but in terms of making porn, I just tell folks, if you're the type of person who likes to take sexy pictures anyway, I'm not enticing anyone to take pictures they don't feel comfortable to take. But if you're already online doing your thing, then you can make queer mommy stuff. You know, it's like there's tons and tons of amateur stuff out there. Folks are always like, why can't I find this? Why can't I find that? Well, some of y'all could make the shit. Just saying. And people would like it. And if you're not the kind of person who wants to put your face out there, I totally understand. I like to draw. I'm not the, you know, most amazing artist on the internet, but I draw things. And if I want to see something, I look at it in my head and I imagine it and then I put it on paper. Or if you want to think about something really hot, write it down and then share it with other people. You know, that's kind of how Perverts of Color Zine started, was just me really wanting to encourage folks to create more kinky art. You know, there's so many ways we can be an activist. There's so many ways you can try to change the world. But literally, if you look at museums, it's just people who died their old stuff. And it's their pictures and their journals and some of their dildos. <laughs> so if you want something to exist, just make it exist. You you have permission. Mean Mommy gives you permission to go home and to write a dirty story or draw a dirty picture, or take a dirty picture, or send someone a consensual dirty text, or just do some shit right now, especially in a world where our government wants to censor all of our internet, all of our schools, all of everything. They want to be able to read your encrypted messages. We don't know how long we're going to have freedom of speech. Let's be real. So if you want something, fucking go make it. And maybe... It, you know, other people would like it too. And me, mommy would love to share it. I'll put it on the fridge and everything. So the next question is thoughts about the importance of gear, etc., to engage in some kinks and being low income. I have got some strong thoughts about this because I personally don't think you need any joys at all to engage in kink, which I know sounds incredibly I've got a lot of stuff like I am one of those kinksters that has the rolling suitcase but I've first of all collected that stuff over literally decades um and second of all there are some parties where I don't use most of the toys in my bag or any of them at all um I love impact play that just hands like kicking punching slapping and feet so like I have definitely rolled up to parties with no toys at all or like a couple of knives or something like that um and just really been able to have amazing engaging scenes um that being said, there are some kinks that do require a little bit of kit like if you want to get into needle play, you do have to have like brand new sterile still wrapped needles and you have to have the cleaning supplies like the medical way to clean people up you have to have you know it, there's some things that physically need stuff right but if you are someone that is either interested in those things or trying to learn those things and you don't have the income kinksters are pretty friendly and they're usually there's someone willing to like help you learn or if you're bottoming for at the top might bring the toys or you know if you're friends with someone you might say hey 
can I borrow some needles, which is a complete euphemism because we know they're not coming back, but we might open our needle kit and be like, yeah, of course, here's a couple of packs of, you know, 22s, have a great time. So, you know, I've always experienced like great community when I was young and broke, I experienced the giving side of it. And now that I'm old and have a couple of, you know, toys to my name, I can pay it forward and help other folks out too. So you know, don't be afraid to ask. The worst someone can say is no if you want to borrow something. Um, but really, a lot of kink is just you can do it with your bare hands or you can do it with like a little creativity. So, you know, unless it's a really specialized kink, in which case you're just going to have to kind of save up and slowly start accumulating things, um, hit up raffles, hit up people trying to get rid of stuff. A lot of kinksters will clean out their whole, you know, toy chest and give everything to the local group that's doing a raffle. So look out for those kind of things. Um, but generally speaking, it's really going to be a matter of like saving up for the kinks that require things that you know you really love and otherwise you can totally have creative and amazing scenes with like your bare hands and very little money. I know because they're still my favorite. Yes everything Lola said yes. I'm not gonna repeat everything because you really kind of wrapped it up but I just want to point out a couple of things. If you're broke and you're looking for toys Find out where the major events are happening. Even if you don't go, a lot of times they have raffles. And so those raffles are usually kinksters selling or donating high quality stuff. And you can get new leather, used leather. You can get needle kits. You can get whips. You can get paddles. You can get corsets. I have gotten so much stuff just going to raffles that are being held by leather clubs sometimes they're doing them online now especially virtually during covid so if you really want to be a person who has an extensive toy collection there are a lot of ways to do it for cheap and um, i would always recommend hitting the raffles up before i would do the diy stuff because there are a lot of really amazing toy makers and whatever you do DIY, I promise you is not going to be half as cool as if you paid a small business, a small kink business to make you something specific, you know, and I had tons and tons of paddles. I had tons and tons of stuff, but now that I've gotten older and I've pared down, I really have like two or three of a few favorite things. And I think that's when the collection becomes sort of special it's not when you have every single thing that's on the internet. It's when you have the special thing that you like. And so I would just encourage you to either save up the money to get the special thing you like or to get someone to make the special thing you like or to look in those spaces like usually near holidays or national events or leather clubs or titles. Whenever someone's running for a title, there's usually a basket that you could try to look at and there's really great stuff. So that's my tip. And can I just say all this talk of like toys and, you know, porn and these like sexy questions we're getting, I am so ready for hot MILF summer. Like I need the fourth booster to happen so that I can fully enjoy a hot MILF summer. I need, I need that age to get lowered down to my age so that I can just go ahead and take that. Uh, because I'm not trying to get Omicron again. That was not okay. Um, nor am I trying to spread it around, but I would love to have a little more protection and feel like I can be a little sluttier than I've been able to be the last couple months. 
So thank you for these amazing questions because now I am thinking about all the things that I want to go out and do. Okay, the next one is any tips for me to be more involved in kink community, but also I'm kind of antisocial. So I feel this one deeply because I'm actually very introverted. Um, I know it doesn't seem like I am because I'm talking on a podcast right now, but I am also alone in my house right now. And that is really my most comfortable, happy place. Um, so I totally feel this. And if you're a little antisocial, a little shy, a little introverted, it can be hard to like step your foot into the community. Um, my most golden recommendation is to volunteer. I've said it before, I will say it again, volunteer, 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 because it gives you a reason to be there. You're not just like the weird kid in the corner, you're the weird kid putting out snack trays. Um, you're not like somebody that nobody's ever talked to before because you've had to talk to the event organizers to figure out how to take the tickets at the door, right? Like you've had to collaborate with a new friend that you just met because you're both on the cleanup crew and you it takes two people to disassemble this sex swing. So you've just met someone over a weird, funny circumstance. So like volunteering is amazing. And also uh, kind of hearkening back to our last question, if you're low income, volunteering for events when they start back up will generally make them either free or less in cost. And that is super helpful if you're new as well. Because again, when I answered the kink scene, I was a young, broke college student. And if I hadn't volunteered my way into every possible thing, I wouldn't have been able to afford to go to much. So... I was really grateful to have all those opportunities and it also introduced me to quite a few people, uh, some of whom became my friends. And um, so yeah, I, I would highly recommend volunteering. That's my number one recommendation for folks new to kink, want to get involved, don't quite know how to get their foot in the door. Once again, I agree with Lola. She, she's good at this. It's almost like she knows what she's talking about. <laughs> but yes, volunteering would be the best way to help with your social anxiety about kink events one thing is we're all a bunch of weirdos in this room talking about sexy stuff but not necessarily trying to have sex with each other so it can be weird i understand trust me as someone who has organized these events volunteered at these events it can be weird but the best way to relax is to have a focus and a purpose for being there so my usual purpose is I want to meet people or I want to make friends. And so I talk to people. If they don't like me, I move on. Usually they do because I'm amazing. If they don't, they have bad taste. <laughs> but there's enough kinksters that even folks that I don't want to hang out with, somehow they still do things and live their lives. It's almost like everybody doesn't have to be friends with everybody in order for us to be cool. Isn't that wild? But anyway, <sighs> so I would just say talking to people is hard but if you have a task like oh i have to check you know badges to get into the dungeon or oh i have to help clean up it almost makes you feel like i'm supposed to be here like i'm not just i'm allowed to be here i'm supposed to be here because i have a job so that's a great tip bola i'm gonna use that so i think that this next question um about familiar relationships and kink is asking about leather family i'm pretty sure that's what it is um, and I know Jackie has a really different leather family than I do. There's a lot more structured, a lot more hierarchical. It's more of a traditional leather version of a leather family, like a leather household. Um, and that's wonderful. Like that's obviously been going on for decades and decades in the leather community. My leather family is more of a chosen family style. Not that 
leather households aren't chosen, but my leather family is not necessarily in a household together, but we're all people in my life that I would trust with my life, that have known me for years and years and years, that are people that have been through like the highest points of my life and the lowest points of my life with me. You know, these are people that when I got married were in my wedding. These are people that when I, my marriage fell apart, you know, helped with my divorce and, you know, moving my shit out of the house. So these are people that have like always been there. Um, one of my leather family literally went to high school with me. Um, so, so definitely has known me the longest. Um, I've got leather family in Canada. I've got leather family in um, different places in California. I've got leather family in the South. You know, we kind of moved in different directions in different places, but that doesn't mean that they're any less special. And that doesn't mean that we all wouldn't show up for each other if needed. Um, for example, when my father was, was passing away, two of them lived pretty close to where my bio family was and they were literally at the hospital with me. So these literally are chosen family, like as much as anyone could be. And kind of my main way of differentiating that between other people in my life that are super dear to me, but not necessarily leather family, is that I'm generally speaking, not sleeping with my leather family. Um, <laughs> that's kind of what makes them family. Like I am, you know, I've said it before, I'm very, a very fun kind of sexually open person. And I have a, a thought of you can't sleep with your friends who can you sleep with. So to me, like I have friends that are like very dear to me, but I'm also sleeping with them because that's just kind of normal for my friendships. Um, but my leather family are people that are super special to me, but we don't have a sexual relationship. So it is a platonic familial kind of relationship. Um, and these are people that will like plan a gangbang for me, but they'll be like the water and loop fairy. They won't be participating in the gangbang. So that's kind of like the difference there. And that is an actual story. My leather sister actually did plan a gangbang for me and was the lube and water fairy, which was very sweet of her. Um, so um, these are folks that are my ride or dies, literally. And um, I love them, but it doesn't follow that same structure that Jackie's family follows. Um, it, it's definitely like people in my life that I, I found were really special and we just felt we had that connection and that relationship. So that's what ended up happening. Leather family is such a fun conversation because everyone's is different. Even in my own family, everyone's way they're connected to each other is different. But um, in my family, I have a leather grandmom who was doing this well before I was. And then I have a leather mom who was doing this well before I was. And I, let my, I met my leather mom and she, you know, sort of brought me into the family, introduced me to all of the women in the family. And then I was mentored by them. So uh, Mama Vi and Miss Jill and Mistress Max rules are my connection to leather and then through them I have this worldwide network of just kinky people who know them and so I think of leather family as the people that I have met who I know are kinky who are out who I'm not sleeping with who we're close enough where if I'm homeless today I would just get in my car and drive to their house whoever was closest I would just drive 
to their house. Or if I go on a really bad date and I'm in an airport and I'm like, oh man, this did not go well. I don't even know how I'm going to get home. They're the ones who buy my ticket to get me home. Or if God forbid the worst happens and I go to jail, they are the people who would pay my bail. So Leather Family is a very specific level of trust, familial trust. Um, I trust them more than my blood family because I can tell them the whole truth. I don't have to edit why I had to go to the hospital <laughs> because, you know, somebody lost the butt plug or whatever happens. That didn't happen. But you get my point. Like I could tell them the true story. I don't have to sugarcoat it. And they understand because they're all freaks. <laughs> and so that's really nice and have like an older generation of, of freaky person. And so I guess the difference between like Lola's talking about her chosen family is they're all different ages and things like that. But in my leather family, most of them are older than me. So I have that like resource of older folks who can give me insight and guidance who have had experiences doing kinky stuff before I was born. So that's the benefit of the traditional structure is that now that I'm learning from them, I can then take that information and I can teach it to others. And it's generational. It's like learning from the source, which I really think is cool. Um, but I also have similar to Lola, like this network of kinky people who I love. And many of them are leather family to me. Um, I guess I would say there's leather family with a capital LF. And then there's lowercase leather family or leather folk. Maybe that's better. There's leather folk that I have in my life who still definitely care about me. We may not be formally in the same family, but we feel like we're from the same cloth. We're similar types and I would connect to them and hold to them. Many of them I met at events or volunteering once again, and we just clicked. And so you will form non-sexual strong platonic healthy bonds with other kinksters and so if you're only focused on like who your partner is or who you're trying to fuck you're going to miss out on some really great connections okay so this last one advice for vetting new people that can be really tough right because everybody starts somewhere at some point we're all new so we're not going to have any references um i would say a couple of things still to do um, always meet in public. So if they're a new person that you either can't find vetting information on or they just straight up say they're brand new, um, generally meeting someone in public is a good idea for all like first date kind of things. But for kink, it's especially important. And now that we've kind of started to walk through COVID, you can do your first dates on Zoom, which is relatively safe. So you kind of get to know people. And, you know, if you feel like then you've connected on the internet, you can go to like a coffee shop or a kinky munch, which is a group of kinksters that are just getting together to have coffee or drinks. And it's like a, a no pressure situation or when public dungeons and play parties start opening back up, um, making sure that you're playing in public just to have that extra added layer of safety so that if something's happening to you and you call the house safe word, the scene will stop. Um, another thing to keep in mind when you're vetting new people is they should admit that they're new. So if they are saying that they're new to the leather scene, but they have tons of experience, you should be questioning that. You should be saying, what is your experience and how did you get this experience? Um, because maybe they learned how to be a master, you know, rope top 
in a monogamous relationship that lasts 10 years and they never went to the kink community for some reason. Or maybe they just looked at a bunch of pictures on the internet. <laughs> so um, if you have a new person that's admitting they're new and admitting that they're looking to learn X, Y, and Z skill or looking to practice more with X, Y, and Z skill, that's a good, a good sign. That's a pretty green flag that this person is being like realistic and honest with you so that you can make informed decisions about whether you want to help someone by being a test bunny, which some people do. I mean, I had... An, an adorable little test bunny when I was super new to certain activities that are, you know, things I absolutely love now. So I'm very grateful for brave bottoms that are willing to help tops learn things. <laughs> um, but it's important that you're honest, same as if you're a bottom, you should be honest as well. Just because you're not expected to have a skill, bottoming is actually a skill on its own. And you should express to the person if you're new and haven't tried something before. Um, and say like, I'm interested in this, not sure if I'm into it yet because you know, I haven't done it yet or I'm not really sure what I'm even into because I'm brand new. So you should be admitting this to people as well if you're a bottom. So if you're a new top, you should be telling people that you don't necessarily have the skill set yet, but you're learning. If you're a new bottom, you should be telling people the same thing. Um, and you should be looking out for those red flags of people that act like they have tons of experience or don't mention their lack of experience, but you can't find people to vouch for their experience because that's a disconnect. That means like something's going on there and they're lying somewhere and that's not good, right? So that's my advice. They should admit that they're new. And if they don't admit that they're new, they should have people that can vet them because why don't you? Um, um, but yes, and also uh, meeting and playing in public as much as possible when you're in especially a new relationship or whatever, hookup, whatever it is, is really important just because that gives you that extra layer of safety that you're not alone in a hotel room with someone that turns out to be Jack the Ripper and not in a hallway. Vetting. Vetting is such a great topic because it's just continuous. You're doing it the entire time. You're getting to know someone. So, for example, let's say I meet someone online. They're new. For some reason, I'm interested. So I'm going to look at their pictures. I'm going to look and see who they're friends with, who they're connected to. Um, if I know some of the people they're connected to, I'm going to ask them about this person. Have you ever met them offline? Because I want to know, you know, are they a catfish or not? That's important. So then, okay, they seem to be real. They have a lot of selfies. Maybe we meet in public, have coffee. So now, depending on what I want to do, depends on how much more serious I, I can get with my vetting. Because if I'm really nervous or if I'm dealing with a man sometimes, and I don't always, <laughs> I don't always trust myself in places alone with men. So I might take a picture of his license plate and I'll tell them I do it too. Like, hey, I took a picture of your license plate. I'm not even necessarily going to do anything with it, but I have it. Thanks. Or I'll give their email and their picture to a close friend. And I'm like, okay, you keep this information in case, you know, I come up missing because I was hanging out with this person recently. So let's say he's, he's a nice guy. He, he passes the first set of vetting. Me personally, I check the sexual um, sex offender list. I want to know if you're going to show up. I want to know if I can't bring you places, right? Um, I also sometimes check for uh, police records or mostly related to like domestic violence. I'm not worried about drugs and, and stupid stuff you did when you were a kid, but I do want to know if you have an assault history, especially for your partners. Um, and so then vetting is also just the types of questions I'm going to ask you. 
I want you to be able to tell me what your intentions are. If your intentions are, I just want to fuck the shit out of you, that's great. You should be able to say that with your full chest and it shouldn't be some weird game to try to make that happen. I hate the game. I'd rather role play than you try to manipulate me into anything. So if I get any whiff of that, that's a red flag that takes that out. And then vetting is just the process of us getting to know each other. Because I personally think you can't know a person until you've known them for a year. That's me personally. Because you need to go through every season with that person before you really know who you're dealing with. And kinksters are just the same. Especially because we live in our own fantasies and role plays all the time. And so personal vetting is an ongoing process. But let's say I'm vetting for an event. Like I'm an organizer for an event. I'm going to do a lot of the same things I mentioned in the first part, which is checking the profiles, asking people, do they know about them? But then in person as organizer of the event, I'm going to take time to talk to you so that I can see you. I want to have a conversation with you so you will stick in my memory. That way, if there's ever an issue, I can think back to the experiences I've had with you. Did I have a weird feeling? Did you seem relatively cool? Like these are just things to help me maintain the safety of the space for myself and others. And so organizers, I would say vetting does require you to talk to the people you're inviting to places. If you're going to be inviting us to have sexy time and you're bringing all these weirdos here, then it would be nice to know that you at least looked at everybody's profile once, that you at least checked to see if they were going to be weird in a negative way for everyone. And that's it. That, that's it. That's the whole episode. Mommy's tired, Miss Lola's tired, Aunt Jackie's tired. I done read everything in my purse. But before we go lay down, go lay down. Before we go lay down, go lay down. Mm, Because you know I'm tired. I just want to take this moment to read you the good word, everyone. The good word of Missy Elliott. This is from the cookbook, track 13. I want you to take this word to heart. The definition of mommy is not a chick with kids. Mommy means the boss, the money maker, the man taker, the provider, the low car rider. So if you a fly mommy, please stand up. Amen. Amen. Everybody, take your moment. Look to your neighbor. Amen. All right. And that's it. I'm going to bed, y'all.